0: When I first started, I was saying, no, I didn't build it to scale efficiently. I'm going to say that now, in the moment when I was building it, I thought I was, but I did not know what I did not know. And through doing like accelerators and different founder programs and actually work with mentors, I realized, you know what, I was not building this to scale efficiently. That's why I kind of had to cancel and take that break. And then when I came back with Tequity, keep that in the forefront of my mind. Now, I feel like we're scaling efficiently. When I say that means we use a true level of validation from revenue and user growth. I'm Sydney Davis, founder and CEO at Nixcode.
1: This is Code Story. The podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead. A team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Labhart, and today, how Sydney Davis built the platform to make app dev even easier through no code. All this and more on Code Story. Sydney Davis really enjoys art. She enjoys immersive exhibits and loves to paint. She's a mom and digs spending time with her son and traveling to different exhibits. She loves the intersection between elemental art, digital art, and art from repurposed elements. And she introduced me to a new term for immersive exhibits, selfie museums, which I hadn't heard before. When Sydney was leaving the college world, she was creating apps for customers and validated the need for said customers to have guidance on how to build an app. After taking a development hiatus, she picked back up on her platform approach in 2019 and eventually started using AI and machine learning to drive an easier, no-code app development experience. This is the creation story of Nixcode. Nixcode is a no-code app
0: development software platform. I started Nixcode, which was not always called Nixcode. It actually went through a few iterations. I want to say my first build of Nixcode was called Hype Digital Innovation, and that was about creating apps. It was more like freelancing. It wasn't really DIY software at that point, but it was my first point of validation that people wanted apps and they needed guidance on how to build it. Over the years, it wasn't really successful, wasn't gaining traction or the revenue that it really needed to sustain its bills. So I stopped for a little bit and did something else, but I resumed the work in 2019 and it was called Techquity. And this is where I launched the first DIY portion of our software that allows anyone who's not, who is not technical to go pick a template, self-service, you know, and start building the app yourself and only bringing us in if you needed support. It was made for you to build an app on your own, similar to like WordPress or Wix. There's like a marketplace of plugins. You know, there's no drag and dropping or no workflow. It's just picking a template, adding plugins, and customizing the content around that. Similar to like building a web page on Shopify or WordPress recently i want to say last year year and a half now that we got like traction a lot of user feedback kind of our niche area where we kind of pivoted to began around leveraging ai to answer a lot of the roadblocks people still face because the truth is even with no code it still doesn't mean it's easy right product development is not easy no matter what tools you use a code or no code and that's where we start leveraging AI to answer questions people had about app development and to help them inform their tech stack, what plugins they should use, what kind of workflows they need to create, what kind of business model will work and improve on the app store based on their goals. Um, and then once they publish the app um, to keep learning their app, our software does now and advises them like, hey, you know, you have a high bounce rate. Here's what you should change in your app because a lot of the founders you know they don't they don't know they don't they're not UX UI experts they're not data analytics experts so they don't know how to learn from the information the data is telling them so that's kind of where we grew and became Nixcode we got really deeper into beyond app development is no code product development
1: let's dive into the MVP so that first product you built how long did it take to build and what sort of tools did you use to bring it to life and I, i'm guessing that's kind of back prior to before it became Nixcode
0: so the very, like, very first MVP, which was just, you know, not even the DIY solution at that point, I want to say the first build probably took six months, but I mean, consistent iterations after that, I think for like three years. And when I was in the MVP phase, I used tools for Envision to start. This is where I kind of road mapped and planned and organized what my screens would look like, the workflow and also, all the apps that I was doing, I kind of planned them in Envision, so I knew exactly what kind of approach to take. Software-wise, what I built on, I use Cordova and an MBAS system, which is a mobile business as a service platform. This is what I use to take the no-code solution I built, uh, which is React Native, and the MBAS, what it does when I get ready to take it to the app stores, it puts it in its native code. Uh, so if it was going to iOS, it would put it in Objective-C. If it was an Android, it would put it into Java. And so those are kind of the primary tools I needed to use. From one, planning um, kind of like the design UX UI and then the software I used to actually build the product in the MVP and also the system and process I used to kind of get my code to be applicable to be submitted to app stores
1: sticking on the MVP a little bit, um, you have to make certain decisions and trade-offs around, you know, tech debt, tech tooling, those things. I hear you kind of talking at a high level for some of those, but dig into some of them for me, especially the the most important ones and specifically how you coped with those decisions.
0: Most of the decisions I had to make in the short term were all related to cost. Actually, for me, there's always plenty of options. I just knew that as an MVP without really much traction at that stage, what I had to like trade on and off on. So for example, building the DIY, like sign up portion of the platform, which in retrospect, I knew maybe that would help people sign up faster and convert faster, but the cost and the data consumed. So I use AWS, a lot of the AWS tools, including their servers, to kind of manage all my data and bandwidth. But quickly, by having people just do it on their own self-service lineup, quickly could have escalated cost um, without my control, right? And that's something that I had to decide to delay on until I had more proof of concept. I've coped with my decisions by finding alternatives like using a google form you know some simple no code tools that i can like shortcut like perhaps fill out this form oh no you know what actually i use type form and that was another tool like oh there's some cost there because i want to use logic at the time i think it was just 30 dollars a month but i said this is feasible and so i shortcutted the sign-up version of my mvp with a type form and i basically took in the user's information, so name, email, and then ask them the questions about what kind of app they're trying to build and use that logic in type form to help spit out the requirements, the cost estimate, and to trigger the onboarding. So then they would say, yep, this is the app I want. Here are my features I'm going to use. Here's my industry. It would give them a total for their first monthly payment. They would pay that and then it would redirect them and send them to now the back end to start building because I didn't have that front end sign up piece done at that point for them to use. So that was kind of the trade-off I did at the shortcut I used to know that I could have more control was more affordable and feasible for me to start at the MVP level to kind of get an onboarding into my product and get people signed up. And that way also I can manage volume. I didn't, you don't have to pay for users who weren't paying, you know, that... I did have like a waste of money just for basically leads. At that point, I would be paying AWS fees just for leads of free accounts and to relate to those who may not be familiar it's when you sign up for a product and it's like a free version and then you get these for paid. I couldn't afford to have a bunch of free accounts at the time.
1: So from that point, you've got your MVP, right? You've you've made your trade-offs, you've built it, it's working. How did you progress the product from there and mature it? And I think to kind of wrap that in a box, what I'm looking for is how you went about building your roadmap and how you went about deciding, okay, this is the next most important thing to build. I will
0: tell you, I am big on data. So when I first started, right, I had this MVP and I actually started putting it on Facebook. I would go live with me using my tool since I was the only one that had access to it at the time. And I used this to kind of drive interest. As the product progressed into actually have people say, Hey, I have an app built with at the time, you know, Hype Digital. It really helped get more traffic and attention. And when I got that, I got feedback, right? I understood what industries in majority were coming to me needing apps. What about their industry do they want to use an app for? Was it more marketing? Was it a sales funnel? Was it community engagement, you know, retention? Was it internal apps for their teams? I used a lot of surveying and feedback at this space to informed what my next steps were. They did want to have a little bit more insight to manage it themselves and add their content, But also they wanted a way to kind of do things in a virtual way. And this is actually getting us now towards and it's like literally before the pandemic. So we're like 2019, early 2020. This is where they were like, "Okay, I'm looking to do something online, more virtual. And I know it was about sales and managing their operations through an app. This allowed me to say, "Okay, my product now needs to progress for them to Monetize. We had in-app purchasing that they could do without going through the app store. We had to add to the roadmap. Uh, this also meant giving them access to a marketplace of plugins. Now, as that started to kind of kick up, so did kind of demand because they getting traction, solving people's problems by offering in-app purchasing for them to monetize their existing business, their programs, their operations. That we now did this marketplace and made it open source so that anyone could develop plugins on our platform, one, and they can start monetizing, but also reduces the need for us to have to like this long pipeline of development. So in the product roadmap was like, how can be open source to allow anyone to build on your platform and offer products, what we call them plugins, formally plugins on your platform. What I envisioned with this and our roadmap was like, you know, Fiverr, you go to Fiverr and you can try to find someone who's familiar with a tool and they can complete a gig for you. That's what I wanted our tool to do. So open source that people learn it and go to Fiverr and say, hey, you know, I need something built in, you know, Nix code. Then you can actually have that done. So that's kind of how we did our roadmap is basically as data informed us what users, our highest paying users need. When I say highest paying users, people are using it often, they're super active, they're getting great value benefit, that that product market fit, what are they saying they need to get value, and that informs our product roadmap, and that's how we plan to build that out and how we continue to, to do so today.
1: Let's switch to team. How did you go about building your team? And what do you look for in those people to indicate that they are the winning horses to join you?
0: Team has been a struggle for me. I... I've been solo, like, believe it or not, holding down a lot of Nixco, Techquity, HDI alone for a lot of the parts. So when I first started with HDI as the MVP, I did it with my mother, which she was just really excited and, and enjoyed my vision. But no technical or strategic or business leadership is savvy. She really was just more of a supporter and kind of encouraged me and also I will preface this. So I was fresh out of college. Remember that. So she also like helped me afford some of the expenses because I was starting off like, you know, working, you know, my first job as well at the time. Um, And so that was really my team, if you will. And I really learned what kind of uh, team I need. My mother at the time was very hierarchical. Believe it or not, she's like, well, I think I should be CEO, you know, of your idea and all these things. And it seemed very important about status, and that's when I realized I did not see people who were looking for any hierarchical. I don't even do C-suite positions um, in my company. You know, if you really ask me what my job is, you know, I, I lead sales. You know, it's it's very functional how we focus. And then as I grew to a team of six and still, you know, in a startup with so many pivots is, is finding people on a startup budget who can work and, and kind of get the results. And it's been struggle, it's been turnover. I have not mastered finding my starting five, if you will. But what I've learned that I'm looking for in people to make them the winning horses are resilience, vision, and for them to look for forgiveness and not permission right? I don't want people who are always seeking permission to lead, permission to do and implement what they truly believe they want to do and to implement their ideas. I want them to try and go and make mistakes and fail fast and apologize later.
1: Let's talk about scalability then. So did you build this to scale efficiently from day one? Or have you been fighting this as you've grown and gained traction? Some of your early answers kind of tip me towards one way but I want to hear what you have to say
0: when I first started I was saying no I didn't build it to scale efficiently I'm going to say that now in the moment when I was building it I thought I was but I did not know what I did not know and through doing like accelerators and different founder programs and actually work with mentors I realized you know what I was not building this to scale efficiently that's why I kind of had to cancel and take that break and then when I came back with Tequity Uh, keep that at the forefront of my mind. Now, I feel like we're scaling efficiently. When I say that means we use a true level of validation from revenue and user growth to move to the next milestone and set those milestones. And so we also think very lean and operate lean in terms of how we inform that product roadmap and where we put our resources at as a team and as a company today I will say yes we are scaling efficiently and truth is before when I was starting I was fighting you know as I grew
1: So as you step out on the balcony and you look across all that you've built what are you most proud of?
0: I am most proud of the product flow of the DIY sign up of picking templates and registering and then getting to a control panel with everything you need and start to build and then you publish and you pay and subscribe and you get the app on apps. Or the just the, the fact that when people like without any interaction, I don't know where they're from, who they are, but they found me and they built a product with something that I've done for so long now, put so much, you know, experience into, it just makes me super proud. The next piece of what a little bit deeper and it may really seem simple, but it's the onboarding experience. That's the other thing too, that I didn't realize how critical the first moments when someone accesses your product, that onboarding is so important to capture them and engage them, retain them. And I felt like that's where I did fall short for a while. And But it took me a while to learn what is the right onboarding experience for my users. Again, have to survey and ask them and, and look at the data. but. It really told the story of what they needed to do to use the product and leverage it. And it took me a while. I used Intercom, that's another tool I used to build my onboarding experience and It took a while because it was a little bit of a learning curve and a technical curve, but I did it. And the fact that now I feel like one of those big companies like a Slack or something or, you know, the big products I log into and it gives you that click around tour and welcome and demo. I was like, I have one of those. I feel official. And I think that was my most recent moment to be really proud about.
1: Okay, let's flip the script a little bit. So tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it.
0: Our mistake is around a lot of operational things. In the beginning, we moved too fast and tried to serve too many people and do all the things. And because I also didn't have like a big team and if anything, a lot of it was, you know, me because I was the CTO, the COO, the CMO, CPA, all the above, I I uh, didn't have to deal with a lot of people even knowing about the mistakes, but when it did come to a team, I felt that it led to a little frustration. Like, oh, we have to pivot, we have to change, we have to backtrack. You know, we did all this work and did we failed to think thoroughly to have all the data we need. We've already put it out there. Um, so now I'm like over-conscious and thorough about it. Now when I do things for launching and product pivoting or improvements, but a specific mistake uh, probably could have been not being willing to put a go to market strategy um, formally in place. It was very much to serve everything and serve everyone and see who floats to the top. And, you know, in res- some respect, that works. But I really think I would have had a shorter road to success had I just picked one niche up front and stuck with it and started there versus I just figured out and niched down as of. I keep saying this year, but we just started it. It's 2023 now, Uh, like mid last year, right? About two years
1: into it. So this will be fun to ask. What does the future look like for the product and for your team?
0: Leveraging AI. And I know we're probably all on the wave of AI doing a lot of things.
1: (laughs) Sure, sure.
0: (laughs) But I think there's some validity to the success AI can bring and... I also don't feel like AI is gonna get so advanced it's gonna replace like developers, but I think for those who need a shortcut way to build faster, leaner, and also as developers shortcut the work that we do, we're looking to incorporate AI specifically first for our product that you could put in some keywords, you know, almost put in some requirements and our AI would match it with our plugins in the marketplace and organize them and put them into an app for you. So kind of like generate it based off keywords and spit out this next code app. And then from there you can log into the control panel and modify it, fix things, replace, remove what you need to. But it's almost like an what we have is templates but we manually put them together. It's like generating a template for you based on your idea. Uh, that's what the future looks like for us. And, and hopefully beyond that, become savvy on other no-code platforms and other no-code methods that if it can't be built with Nix Code, it still will allow you to generate a, requ- a no-code tech stack, if you will, of requirements for your idea. And now you say, I had no idea how to build this before, but now I know exactly what platform I should use to do this idea. And here what I get in the tool: here's the products and you know features I need to have and use, and here's an estimate of kind of what kind of costs I'm looking like looking at. So right now, that's what the product looks like. And for our team, we're fundraising and actually closed out some recent funding. So we're looking to expand. I'm looking to get that starting five that I mentioned and get some winning horses pretty soon. And really, I hope to, although we're in a world of remote, I like people kind of closer because it is super. I've really missed working together. But I've also noticed the results when I pull my team together and how we work so much better, so much more effective when we can actually get together. And so either uh, looking for us to get together through, you know, different spaces in the metaverse by creating like, you know, virtual space and we can be in a virtual classroom together, if you will, or something or virtual boardroom and kind of work. But if not, for us to find ways to kind of connect more in person to find out how to better work together with our unique dynamic of cross and cross departments and things of that sort.
1: let's switch to you. Who who influences the way that you work? Name a person you look up to or many persons or something you look up to and why.
0: What influences the way that I work? The first one is my stepmother, May. Uh, She has been a great example of grit, resilience, hard work and discipline and has been a really great first example for me that I got to really be under personally since I was a little girl. And I look up to her for womanhood. I look up to her as a professional woman and she really masters building relationships and relationships are so important. And she's an example of what relationships can get you and open doors and how you treat people and how people remember you and how people feel when they're around you and how they they trust you in integrity. She just embodies all of that and she's been something I've looked up to. Two kind of people I've not had the pleasure of meeting, but I love you know listening to them and their influence online. And one is my leak found of Curlbox. I love her posts and her knowledge and her reading recommendations. I feel like they have a similar uh, unapologetic grind-hard mentality. Uh, I'm gonna get it done. No, no was gonna block my progress. You know, get it done by any means. And so that's why I looked up to for her and always follow her recommendations on reads products and opportunities. And then last is a Detroit native founder of Glamaholic, is Mia Ray. Just the focus and niche in the ideation and curation and, and that team of trusted all-stars actually has mastered it and watching her journey from start to, to where it is now um, consistently encourages me to stay focused on the big picture You don't have to do things because everybody asks you to do it. Stay where your dollar is. Stay where your growth is aligned. You know, don't have to serve the masses and serve everyone. And it's fine to stay niche. And there is success in being niched in who you serve and what you offer. And so those are my three top influences of the way that I work.
1: Okay, so we talked about a mistake earlier, but a little bit different spin. If you could go back to the beginning, what would you do different? Or where would you consider taking a different approach?
0: I would have done a program. I did this uh, alone and from the beginning, and I'm a self-taught developer. So I feel like I may have taken a harder way to start, a harder way to build a product. I think I spent a lot of time. You know, it took me six months to build an MVP. Uh, well, and also, will privy this with, it was like 2013, 2014. I feel like the startup space was not like busting like it is now. Like, there's so many free programs, accelerators, incubators. Not only they give you people, they give you resources, they mentor you, they give you capital. Like, I feel like in 2013, that was not all the fan, fandom that it is now. So, but if it was, if I go back to the beginning, I would consider going the approach of, one, finding a co-founder, but two going through a program that helped me shortcut this journey and experience and really do a lot more validation. I took the really long and hard way. And I would have had more discernment with my yeses. I would have uh, been more confident with my noes, and not been so influential. And I probably would have sought a mentor. And if I could have taken a different approach, it still would have been no-code app development, but I think I would have structured my user experience when I built like the entire product totally different based on now that there's so many more no-code app builders, you know, and more things to look at and reference before when I, no-code probably was not all the fan of in 2013 uh, like it is in 2023, over 10 years, but I probably would have took a different approach to my UX UI and restructured it for something similar to like Canva. I think Canva did a really great job at making it super simple to use all the elements and intuitive in the way the UX UI is. And I think I would have done something a little bit more easier in that approach.
1: Okay, last question, Sydney. So you're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world. Can we show it off to you right there on the plane? What advice would you give that person just getting started on this road?
0: I would give them advice of staying lean, make mistakes fast to fail fast, and stay consistent with giving out industry knowledgeable um, advice, expertise. Become an authority in the space that you're looking to get into. That means staying up on the news, reading books, but sharing your knowledge and your interpretation of what's trending, and building trust early, because that's in the era we're in. People are very influential, Voice are influential online. People follow influence, start dominating that and being putting yourself in position soon. It makes the relationship building, the traffic building, the referrals a lot easier and the trust a lot quicker in your product when you do launch.
1: That's great advice. Well, Sydney, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you for telling the creation story of Nick's code. Thank you so much. And this concludes another chapter of code story. Code story is hosted and produced by Noah Labhart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening. At Parker, our
0: purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies